Good morning, everyone. Come listen, I know it's August 14th. I know it is like one of two Sundays between summer and school starting for most of us, but I know y'all can do better than that. So let's, let's start over. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you here. For those of you watching online, thanks for being with us today. Let me say a special welcome um, to Don watching up uh, in Iowa, Don Jordison. Uh, many of you know his son, Craig, who's a part of our church uh, in his 80s. He gave his heart to Jesus um, last year. Craig, was it at Christmas and at Father's Day last year? And every Sunday for a year has been watching Journey online at 830. So would you all help me welcome Don today? Don, we're so glad that you're watching up in Iowa. And Grayson, where are you? We got the Mid-America Nazarene University ladies soccer team here today. Where are, you, where are you guys at? Where are you all at? Stand up if you would. There's a bunch of you back there. Stand up if you would. We just want to say welcome to you guys. Bunch of them back there. I imagine probably athletes from all over America, maybe all over the world. We're so glad you guys are here today. Grayson found me in the atrium and said, listen, my whole soccer team is coming today. You have to preach good. Um, <laughs> Grayson, it's funny, when I got up this morning, I wasn't planning to. But when you told me that, I thought, I probably should give it my very best um, since your friends are here. So uh, we are so glad all of you are here. For those of you watching us online, man, it's been an incredible week. And, and Sherry Hinnick, thank you for your leadership of our church and our community helping us love with the heart and the hands of Jesus. Um, Sherry, Sherry's right. The only reason we were able to do anything in our community this week Scripture says that Christians, followers of Jesus, love because of how we've been loved by Jesus. So really, the victory this week goes to Jesus, because we would have no motivation to love like Jesus unless we'd been loved by Jesus. Scripture teaches us that we experience in our Christian life that it's better to give than receive. So really, this week, um, Jesus did more for us than we did for anybody else. Because we get to experience the blessing of giving this week. And Sherry, as you shared those statistics of if we were to do this every week, you get to the end of all those big numbers. If we did this 52 weeks a year as a church, and when you get to the end, I just thought, and it still wouldn't be enough. There will always be more need than help. Uh, it's why we got to make sure our service and our love in our community is not seven days a year but that some of you who had like the greatest time of your life serving with your small group and your friends and your family engage in that every month, the first Saturday of the month as we do our serve Saturdays, engaging so that our community knows who Jesus is and so that they know that Jesus and his people see them and care about them. We're in Matthew chapter 17. If you have your Bibles today, let's go ahead and turn there. Maybe fire up that Bible app on your phone. Maybe fire up your Journey Church International app or take the notes out of your bulletin. That'll help you kind of follow along some of the faith lessons that we're going to learn today. If you've got our Journey app, you'll be able to fill out our entire notes on your phone and then email it to yourself. So you get a file of it in case you ever want to pull it up and share it in a Bible study that you're leading or in a faith conversation that you're having with some friends and we are almost at the very end of a series that we started the Sunday after Easter Sunday called The Kingdom, looking at foundations. What is the worldview that Jesus' people have? Looking at spiritual profiles. What can we learn from Christians in the Bible that will help us kind of 
engineer the DNA of our faith so that we can have high impact. And recently we've been learning about the spiritual mindsets of Jesus people. What is the lens and the perspective that we view life through? How do Jesus people make it through this broken world that we live in? In weeks one through three, the first three mindsets we learned taught us how to have trust on hard days, how to have hope when difficult times came, and how to uh, use suffering and see Jesus in our suffering and allow God to use our suffering in a way that people could see Jesus in us. So we've, we've learned that hard days are going to come, but we can have trust. We've learned that difficult times are going to come, but we can have hope. And we've learned to take our suffering and not question it, but leverage it for Jesus. Last week, we learned in one of my favorite messages, we learned mindset number four, that we can't see anything in life clearly until we clearly see Jesus. Because only when we see Jesus do we realize that a supernatural and eternal God created us to have a supernatural and eternal relationship with God. Only when we clearly see Jesus do we understand how the distant past connects to the distant future and gives us any hope or purpose at all. Only when we see Jesus do we understand that God wants to be in relationship with us. Only when we clearly see Jesus do we understand that God has direction and purpose and truth for us. Only when we clearly see Jesus do we understand the gift that God gives us in revealing himself to us. And only when we really see Jesus do we understand the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus And do we understand that resurrection power lives in our spiritual DNA? That was last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I hope you'll go back. We were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and it was awesome. But learning that resurrection power lives in us leads us to spiritual mindset number five. As Christians look at the world, what we learn is that power-filled faith comes from prayer-filled lives. And breakthrough faith. Breaking through things in our life where we need God to move really comes from spiritually hungry lives. And I want to pause on this screen for just a second, and I want to unpack some of these words. I want to start with the goal. I don't know that there's anyone in here who is a follower of Jesus who doesn't want to have power-filled lives spiritually. I don't know that there's anyone in here who's not a follower of Jesus who doesn't from time to time want to experience breakthrough faith in areas where they feel like there's an obstacle spiritually holding them back. But at the exact same time, if I ask you to self-identify as a prayer-filled Christian, not many would according to the surveys that are given of people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And if I were to ask you to identify as spiritually hungry based on how much time you spent leaning into Jesus this week, it would be possible that we would say there's not a lot of spiritual hunger in the room. What we're going to learn as we study Matthew chapter 17 today is the disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John, were able to see the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the rest of the world only sees the glory of God through prayer-filled, spiritually hungry Christians. And if our mission is not just to have God in our lives, but to show God to our world, then we have to become Christians who are power-filled. We have to become Christians who experience some breakthrough in our faith from time to time, which means we've got to learn how to be prayer-filled, and we've got to learn how to be spiritually hungry. That'll be the goal of our message today. 
Before we ever open God's word and read it, we always pray and ask God to open our hearts and speak to our hearts. So let's do that here. And if you're watching online, let's bow our heads real quick. Just take a deep breath to let God kind of settle your moment. Transition now from whatever you were thinking about to thinking about what God wants you to hear. And just ask him to speak to your heart today and tell him that you'll listen. God, that's our prayer that you would speak to our hearts, calm our minds and our hearts of everything going on outside of your voice and speak clearly to us today. Holy Spirit, nothing happens spiritually if people only hear from me today. So Holy Spirit, please speak to your people with a gentle whisper in their soul. Speak to their hearts. And God, I pray that you might today convict us, challenge us, inspire us, encourage us with what it looks like to be prayer-filled people who have powerful spiritual lives and hungry people who see breakthrough after breakthrough in some of the spiritual obstacles that we're facing. That's our prayer. We pray it for us and for the world watching us to see whether or not if Jesus is still powerful and still breaking through barriers. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So we're in Matthew 17. We're going to start in verse 14, go through verse 21. Here's what it says today. I'm reading in the New International Version. You'll understand why I said that in just a minute. It says, when they, you might circle they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, four of them. They've been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they're on their way down. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. Harsh but true. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked why Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So for those of you maybe getting ready to start college last year to begin the semester, Dr. Kenyon Wilson, who was an associate professor in the performing arts uh, area of the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, put in his syllabus, which every student not only had to read, but they had to check a box for an assignment saying, we have fully read the syllabus, that in the syllabus he had placed in locker 147 with combination 152535, a $50 bill for the first person that wanted to go and retrieve it. At the end of the semester, as he neared Christmas, he went to that locker to see if any of the students who had all checked that they had read the syllabus, had taken the $50 out of the locker. And here's what he found as he opened that locker. Throw those pictures up on the screen, guys, as you would. Um, There's the $50 bill and the pen and the notes that says, congrats, please leave your name and date so I know who found it. Literally all of the students who said, I read all of the fine print of the syllabus were either lying or not in need of $50. And if you've ever met a college student, you know they were lying. 
because they're all in need of $50. I say that to say sometimes it's very necessary to read the fine print. And today is one of those days. Because I don't know if you heard me, but I said we were going to read Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21, but we stopped at verse 20. And in the New International Version of the Bible, we get to the end of verse 20, and here's what it says. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And what does verse 21 say? Uh, or A, however, like, however you would pronounce that. It's not there. Now, if you're reading in the NIV like me, there's a footnote at the bottom of the page, and A will say this. If you go down to the bottom of the page, 21, some manuscripts include here words similar to Mark 9.29. So you think, okay, cool. It's a scavenger hunt. Let's go to Mark 9.29 and see what... Jesus maybe said that we didn't see. And we get to Mark 9.29 and we read the exact same story from Mark. And here's what Mark says in Mark 9.29. Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And what is there? There's another little A. What else does that mean? So you go down to the bottom of the page and that footnote says some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. So what's happening here? interesting spiritual scavenger hunt. Uh, but I, but I want to catch, catch you up on what is happening, what Jesus taught, what Jesus is teaching, what Christians need for breakthrough faith, and just walk you through a little biblical history. So some of you are going to nerd out because you're going to love this. Some of you are going to kind of care less, but just scan Instagram for three minutes and then like we'll pick back up in the message um, <laughs> a- after we do that. So in 1604, the king of England, a man by the name of King James I, who had been King James VI of Scotland. A couple weeks ago, Danielle and I were at the Edinburgh Castle. You can walk by the room where he was born in Edinburgh Castle. We also spent time in Westminster Abbey, and we passed by his grave. So it's pretty cool for a, a, a Bible history guy to not only see where King James was born, but to see where King James is buried. He authorized the Church of England to produce an English Bible for the Protestant Christians that were kind of brand new on the scene in the last hundred years. And they produced what in 1611 became known as the King James authorized version of the Bible. They based the Old Testament on the Masoretic text, which was one of the oldest Hebrew manuscripts available. They based the New Testament highly on what was called the Textus Receptus and the Latin Vulgate. Textus receptus, two Latin words, which means receive text. At that point in time, really only Catholic priests had their own Bible. It was all written in Latin. The common man could not read it. Martin Luther and the Reformers had tried to change that. So in about 1516, they started putting together a Greek copy of the New Testament. And they took that 1516 to 1600 Greek New Testament. And they took the Latin Vulgate and they tried to produce a New Testament from that. In that Textus Receptus in the Latin Vulgate, in Matthew 17, 21, Jesus would say this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And Mark 9, 29 would say this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. But as you and I both know, archaeology and biblical history has continued to find much older Hebrew and Greek manuscripts than ones written in 1500. And the older the manuscripts were that they found 
the more accurate they became. And sometimes they would have to say, like, hey, that, that was in the Textus Receptus, and that was in the authorized King James Version, but in the oldest versions of the Greek Bibles that we have, the Codex uh, Sinaiticus, which means a, a book found in a library on Mount Sinai, uh, the Codex Vaticanus, which means a book um, found in the library at the Vatican, the Codex Alexandrius, which means a book found in the library at Alexandria. They found Bibles that were written in 300, 350, 390 AD that were 1,200 years before the Textus Receptus was written in Greek. And when they went back to those, they said those, those words weren't in the earliest versions of what was written. At some point, a scribe added them. And it probably happened this way. Somebody's copying down Matthew. They read this story. They've heard this story in the book of Mark. And they just in their mind kind of say at the end of the story, here's what Jesus said in Mark. He did. For some reason, Matthew didn't write it down, but they included it there. Um, in Mark, we go back to the most ancient manuscripts of Mark and prayer and fasting are not there. But the people who are writing the Bible knew that Jesus not only modeled fasting, he taught fasting. He used fasting with his disciples and said this would be an occasion where that, where that kind is in there. So we've got some interesting footnotes in scripture. But what we find is that in hard spiritual moments that, that demand more than what I would call average faith, Jesus would often point his disciples to, you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to fast in big, big moments like this. Did Matthew write that in Matthew 17, 21? According to the oldest Greek manuscripts, probably not. Did Mark, some version of it, but less, but did Jesus pray and fast during the biggest moments of his life? Yes. Did he teach his disciples to do it? Yes. And are Christians today commanded if they want to have power-filled faith and breakthrough faith to pray and fast? The answer is yes. So the big idea today as we get into Scripture is going to be this. Developing breakthrough faith is going to demand a new level of belief. His disciples were at one point, they were like, we're not where we need to be. How do we get there? De developing breakthrough faith demands a new level of belief, which demands a new level of prayer and a new level of fasting. So this was modeled very clearly by Jesus. It was taught very clearly by Jesus. And now we see it in scripture as we enter this story. And as we enter it, we're going to see two, one group, one person in need of breakthrough faith. First, we're going to see the disciples in need of breakthrough faith. But we're going to find out that these are very specific disciples. If you're taking notes, one would be disciples in need of breakthrough faith. And as we walk back through this text again, starting in verse 14, here's what we read. It says, when they, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, and he knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures. He's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples. You might circle those two words or underline them. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, you and I need to remember this group of disciples is the group of nine disciples who were not at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Because this group of nine was engaging here while Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the mountain. And if just by like process of elimination, if we're like, okay, well, who were the nine? Well, we could just kind of start ticking them off. So Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. Andrew was almost always with those three, but he wasn't that day. So we got Andrew was one of the nine. 
We know there was another Simon, Simon the Zealot. We know there was another James, James the Less. So those are three of the nine. We know there were two Judases, Judas from the town of Iscariot, and Judas who was also called Thaddeus. So that's five of the nine. We know there were two guys with two names, Nathaniel, who was also called Bartholomew, Matthew, who wrote the book, who was also called Levi. So that gets us to seven. And then there was Thomas, who we know as Doubting Thomas, who had a twin brother. And then there was Philip, who was kind of a bringer of people to Jesus. So those are the nine. Those nine people are engaged here with this dad and the crowd. I think it's probably good at this point to say perhaps it might have been a very good thing that Peter, James, and John were with Jesus and not with the nine. You say, why perhaps was it a good thing that Peter, James, and John were with Jesus and not with the nine? Because of what was going on, because of who they were and how they often approached things. If we're to look at the parallel passage in Mark chapter 9, here's what was happening according to Scripture. Mark 9, 14 says, When they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? So Jesus walked up to a playground fight, right? Like he walked up to a crowd of people that were like, fight, 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 fight. And in the middle are like the religious leaders from Jerusalem, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and these nine disciples of Jesus who were arguing. Why was it good that maybe James and John and Peter weren't there? Because they didn't argue. They fought. Um, we would read in Luke chapter 9 that James and John, when Jesus was preaching in Samaria and people rejected him, they came to Jesus privately and said, do you want us to kill him? Um, so like, he nicknamed them the sons of thunder because he was like, okay, we're not going to kill people who disagree with us. Peter didn't even ask permission. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he just grabbed a sword and tried to cut a guy's head off. Now, he's a bad aim, so he only got the ear. But, like, probably the crowd was lucky that James and John and Peter weren't there or Jesus would have showed up to a bloody mess. Like, these were the fighters of the disciples. So he shows up to the other nine, and he asked them, what are you arguing about? And this dad presents himself and tells the story. My son is in trouble. I heard you and your disciples help people like me, but they are not helping at all. And Jesus very freely and very frustrated gives one of his most kind of shocking lines in New Testament scripture in Matthew 17, 17. He says to this group, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. You say, who is he talking to? He was talking to the crowd of the religious leaders, and he was talking to his disciples. He called one of the groups unbelieving. He called the other group perverse. Unbelieving and perverse. He looked at this group of people and he said, you are a generation that either does not believe in me, or you have a twisted and distorted view of me, and why I'm here. The word perverse in the Greek language is the word diastropho. We get the English words disaster and catastrophe from this etymology, from these like root words. 
which basically mean to take the natural order of things and to twist and destroy. And Jesus says to the teachers of the law, you're unbelieving, you don't even believe in me. But then he says to his disciples, you still do not have the correct view of who I am and what I've come to do. You still think what I have come to do is way more about you than it is me. How long am I going to have to put up with people who believe that like I am their personal ticket to whatever they're looking for in life? James, who was the little brother of Jesus, would say to the early church in James chapter 4, you don't have because you don't ask God. But when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking so you can get stuff for your own motives, for your own pleasures. You are still convinced that adding Jesus to your life will make Jesus all about you rather than following Jesus makes you all about him. So the disciples are in need of some breakthrough faith because up to this point, they're not really sure how to apply Jesus things to really hard scenarios that don't have anything to do with them. So Jesus says, you are a perverse and you are a corrupt generation. After he chastises the disciples, they do not lick their wounds and run away. They take it like men. And after they walk away, they pull up to Jesus privately and say, okay, we got you. We're not where we need to be. We don't clearly understand who you are, so help us understand. So I want to read Matthew 17 again, but I'm going to read it in the New King James Version this time. One, it's one of my favorite to read and study, but it's going to take us all the way through how the early church would have seen this text. It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they asked, Why couldn't we drive that demon out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. It's going to move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. So when we look at the disciples now two and a half years into their journey with Jesus, and as we look at our Christian life, some of you in the room and some of you watching online, this is where we are in our spiritual journey. The disciples, when you looked at their faith, you would say the disciples had a saving faith. They had just said in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus was the Messiah of the world. He was the Jewish Messiah who would save people and connect them to God. We would say they had a trusting faith. They, they had put like all of their spiritual eggs in, in the Jesus basket. So they had this saving faith. They had this trusting faith. But what they did not have was a power-filled faith at this point in their life. At this point in their life, they were not able to take any of the hard things in life and use faith so that they might experience breakthrough. And there are a lot of us in our spiritual journey who this is the point of our faith right now. We have saving faith. We've asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We've been baptized. We believe we're connected to God and that one day we'll go to heaven. We have trusting faith. So much so that when something bad happens, the first thing we do is pray because that's what you do because we trust God. But we do not have a power-filled faith. And you see that in areas of your life where frankly you need a breakthrough. For many Christians in the year 2022, we see this in the area of giving. 
There's just no power-filled faith there. We see this in the area of forgiving. There's just no power-filled faith there. We see this in the area of addiction. Or maybe just really bad habits in your case. There's just no power-filled faith there. We see this in long seasons of discouragement. We see this in a posture of depression or anxiety. We see this when we look at our friends and family who are going through difficult things. We just, there's no power-filled faith. We see this when we look at our marriage that is hard or our teenagers who are drifting. There's just no power-filled faith there. We see this when we look at our, our trust in our future. And we find out we have zero peace in our heart because we have no power-filled faith. We have no trust in our job. We have no trust in our health. We have no trust for our kids and their kids one day. We have no trust in our economy. We have no trust in our country. We have no trust that God will be good later down the road. Like, we've got spiritual trust. Like, we've got a saving faith. And we've got a trusting faith and trusting God with spiritual things. But, like, the hard things in life, like, they just kind of hold us back. And we're not able to break through those. It's interesting that Jesus uses the picture of the mustard seed because in Matthew chapter 13, he taught us the thing about the mustard seed that's so important is that it grows. It just grows. And it doesn't become the biggest tree on planet earth, but it's always growing and its growth is fruitful and productive. Some of you have stopped growing spiritually because you've hit a wall and you have no power-filled faith to break through it. So the disciples needed a power-filled faith. And Jesus shows up to them and basically says to them, here would be his quote if we could just put it in everyday terms, your spiritual power is never going to exceed your prayer and your spiritual fight cannot exceed your fasting. Like until you start putting some effort into the hard things in your faith life, you're never going to see movement. These type of things, they take a lot of prayer. These type of things take withholding some things from yourself until you really see God move. These type of things take wrestling with God. So let me ask you again, those of you who have grown to a point. We talked about this at student camp with our kids two weeks ago. I ask our students, how many of you remember when you became a Christian? And so many of them raised their hands. I said, okay, now how many of you probably think you've become a Christian more than once? And most of them raised their hands. And I said, that's because even though you have saving faith and trusting faith, you don't have power-filled faith. And the things you ask Jesus to help you with at camp, you do the whole next year. So you think maybe I was never saved because you've never experience spiritual breakthrough like the heaven thing you're pretty sure of the forgiveness thing you're pretty sure of but like the things you've struggled with spiritually you never experience spiritual breakthrough it's time to learn what i call sanctification learning to set apart your life learning to grow learning to grow up a little bit so we see the disciples in need of breakthrough faith and jesus says listen spiritual power never going to be greater than your prayer and your spiritual fight that you have for these really hard things in life cannot exceed your fasting. 
So like you're going to have to lean in a little bit. I don't know what the thing in your life is that's the obstacle right now. I just know if you don't attack it with prayer and fasting, you'll have no fight against it. That's why I'm really excited. In two weeks, we begin our fall season of ministry with, with what we call our week of prayer. Uh, for the last several years, we've done 21 days of prayer. This year, we're condensing it to a week. And this week of prayer this year that starts Sunday, August 28th, but it really fires up Monday morning through Friday morning, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m., we're calling this week of prayer in our church breakthrough faith. And here's what I'm calling you to, church. That wall that you continually hit, like you got the heaven thing figured out, you got the forgiveness thing figured out, but this thing in your faith life, you've never been able to break through this wall, I'm calling you to begin praying about it. And in 2023, we'll make a lot of announcements through this week of prayer, but we're going to talk about how our prayer ministry will come back and we are going to acknowledge a day of prayer and fasting together as a church every month in 2023 because we want to be a church with power-filled faith. Amen? Amen. Like we don't just want saving faith. We don't just want trusting faith. Like we want to be Christians whose lives are changing. Amen? Amen. We want to break through those obstacles. We want to break through those walls. So we see disciples in need of breakthrough faith. But then we see number two, we see a dad who's in need of breakthrough faith. And I love his story and I love the humility of his story that we read in Mark chapter 9. We have to go to the book of Mark to really see his story. It's interesting. Matthew focuses on the disciples in this narrative. Mark focuses on the dad. Matthew says, look at how the disciples need to grow. Mark says, look at how the dad took steps to grow. So we read a very similar narrative in Mark chapter 9. Jesus, after kind of chastising his disciples, says, bring the boy to me. And in Mark 9, 20, it says, they brought him to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And there are some really powerful, powerful phrases in Mark chapter 9. The first is these three words at the beginning of verse 23. If you can, question mark. The boy's dad comes to Jesus and he's like, if you can do anything. And Jesus is like, what do you mean, if I can do anything? Jesus made it very, very clear that the man's limited faith had nothing to do with the limit to Jesus' power. She was like, don't put this on me. What do you mean, if you can? You don't know who you're talking to. Jesus said, if you can, we can do something. But don't put your thing on me. Listen to me, followers of Jesus, who right now are saying, Jesus hasn't delivered me yet from the thing I'm going through. Don't put it on him. Because your limited faith has nothing to do with a limit to his power. What you mean if you can? Jesus is saying, if you can, and the man says what I believe are the most, two of the most powerful words in all of scripture. He says, I've got unbelief. I believe these are two of the most honest words that Christians can ever speak about an area in their faith 
where they need a breakthrough. I just am not yet at the point where I believe God can do it because I haven't seen him do it. But some of us get too comfortable in our unbelief. In Exodus chapter 3, we see God have a conversation through a burning bush with a man named Moses. And he says to Moses, I need you to go tell Pharaoh, who's leading Egypt, to let my people go. Their cries have reached me, and it's time to rescue them out of bondage. And Moses said, I can't do that. Like, he won't respect me, and God's like, I'll make him respect you. And Moses is like, but it's been 40 years. And God's like, it's okay, he'll remember you. And Moses is like, the people won't listen to me. And God's like, they'll listen to you. And Moses is like, but I stutter. And God said, boy, I made your mouth. And I can make your mouth say what I want it to say. And then Moses said this, I just don't want to. There are some of us when it comes to the area of our breakthrough faith. After we get done with all of our excuses... The only excuse left is, I just don't want to believe in this area. You can do anything to help. I'm not going to confess it. I'm not going to pray over it. I'm not going to fast. I'm not going to believe. I'm comfortable with it. I'll go to heaven with it. He said, I need help in my unbelief. But he uttered three really powerful words. He said, I need to overcome my unbelief. To me, these are three of the most powerful words that any Christian can utter who is looking for breakthrough faith. It is the acknowledgement that there is an area in my life that Jesus is not yet in control of, and I want to overcome it. I need to overcome this area in my life. I'm sick of looking at pornography, I'm sick of having to drink to go to sleep. I'm sick of hiding my pharmaceutical medications. I'm I'm sick of being with men who are not going to marry me and women who are not going to marry me. I'm sick of cheating on my taxes. I'm sick of living with insecurity. I'm sick of presenting a false self on social media and then crying myself to sleep. Like, I'm ready to overcome this area in my life. Man, I love the humility of this dad. I've got an issue. And Jesus, I need you to help me. Because today, today it's worth overcoming. I'm excited about a lot of things in the fall of our church coming up in just a couple weeks. But probably the one that I'm most excited about is a Bible study we're offering in our life track of our discipleship tracks. We have four tracks you can take. Jesus track, teach you to walk with Jesus. Scripture track, teach you to develop a biblical worldview. The life track, which teaches you to apply who Jesus is and what Scripture says to your life. And then our leadership track, which teaches you how to be a disciple who makes disciples. Our life track that we're offering church-wide on Tuesday nights, offering it in men's groups, offering it in women's groups, offering it in um, couples groups, is a curriculum called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's something Danielle and I about seven years went through and kind of the byline of this is it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And basically the whole thought process of this is Christianity so often adds tasks for you to do but never invites Jesus into the areas of unbelief in your life. Like you start reading scripture but you never let scripture read you. 
Like you learn how to navigate the Bible, but the Bible never gets to navigate you. And it's why you have so many Christians who would say things like this. Hi, my name's Ken and I used to be a jerk. But then I became a Christian and now I'm a jerk who reads the Bible. You ever met anyone like that? It's like, (laughs) you've not changed at all. Hi, my name's Pam and I struggle with jealousy so much that I can't help but gossip about everyone. But I'm now a Christian. So now I struggle with jealousy and gossip about everyone, but I sing in the church choir. It's like, Pam, that's not how Christianity is supposed to work. For those of you who the only thing you heard in that was, we have a choir, you missed the point. Like, totally, it's like, we have a choir? I'm going to talk to somebody about that. Yes, we know. Um, you know, it's, it's the guy who's like, hi, my name's Richard. And I am critical of everyone and everything in life. And I really struggle looking at porn. But I became a Christian. So now I go to a men's group, um, and I talk about that with people. But I still am critical of everyone, and I'm still looking at porn. You'd be like, Richard, Richard, I don't think you've grasped Christianity yet. Because Scripture says if anyone's in Christ, they are a what creation? They're a new creation. The old guy's gone, Richard. New things are supposed to come. And so often we pile spiritual information into our heads that just doesn't transform our lives at all. And that is not discipleship. Discipleship is looking at these areas of unbelief that cause me to look everything but like Jesus and dealing with them. These areas in our hearts and our past that don't make us run to Jesus, make us run away from Jesus and dealing with them. So I want to beg you, if that's you, been a Christian for years, but you're the same person you've, you've always been, something is wrong in your discipleship journey. And you will never be more spiritually mature than you are emotionally mature. You've got to begin to dissect your life a little bit and figure out who you need to become. I hate when people say, well, that's just the way I am. I say, no, 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 Christians can't say that. Christians say that's just the way I was. But I have become a Christian, and now I'm becoming like Jesus. I don't get to stay the way I am. Amen? Amen. That's Christianity. So Jesus tells his disciples, you've got to move to a new level of belief. What does a new level of belief look like? Well, listen, until belief gets to your heart, it'll never move from your head to your hands. And that's the problem for so many Christians. We know it. We just don't do it. Watch this, because we don't believe it yet. It's our unbelief. I know I shouldn't be. Looking at the things, drinking the things, watching the things, saying the things, doing... I know that. I just can't stop doing it. Why? Because in my heart, my unbelief still reigns. I know it. I just can't do it until I believe it. I'm believing it takes taking your heart out of your chest, putting it on the table and say, Okay, Jesus, show me what I need to see about myself. It really begins with prayer and fasting. That's spiritual mindset number five. Power-filled faith come from prayer-filled lives. Breakthrough faith comes to spiritually hungry people who say, "I I have unbelief. And frankly, at 40, at 50, at 60, I'm sick of still having because I've had it since I was 10. It's time for a breakthrough. Breakthrough faith. I'm hungry for more. The reality is you can have more. Because in this story, 
We see a dad who brought his one and only son to Jesus so Jesus would help him. But in the gospel story, we see a dad who brought his one and only son to us so he could help us. And when Luke wrote this story, Luke gets to the end of this story of Jesus helping this kid. And it says the people were amazed at the glory of God. It was the exact same word used of what Peter saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. What Peter saw in Jesus, supernatural Jesus, the world saw from a dad who had breakthrough faith. See, Christians see Jesus clearly when we see the transfigured Jesus. But the world sees Jesus clearly when we practice breakthrough faith. Because they think, wow, they were this way. And they changed. Maybe, maybe there's something to the Jesus thing. If you're here today and you've got an area of unbelief that needs to be overcome, my hope is that you will commit on this morning to show up at 6 a.m. on August 29th And you'll spend a week very specifically talking to God about this area of breakthrough that you need and you will not stop praying or fasting through it until it's done. And then fair warning, as soon as you get through that one, you're going to hit the next one. And if you don't stop praying or fasting until you get through that one, you'll get through that one. And as you go from one obstacle through through one obstacle after another, the world will see more and more of Jesus in you and you will become more and more like Jesus. That's our prayer, amen? That's what we want to be in this kingdom. We want to be more like Jesus. And we want the world to see him more clearly in us. So what has God said to you this morning? And what do you need to do about it? Let's pray and close as we consider those questions. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. What is your area of unbelief? that you need a breakthrough faith to overcome. You've got saving faith. Spiritually, you've got trusting faith, but in this area, you've never had powerful faith. If you know that area today, would you confess it to Jesus? Would you just pray something as simple as, Jesus, my area of unbelief is this. I struggle here. I've always struggled here. And if you were to be honest, would you say, I don't want to keep struggling here. Would you ask God to give you a breakthrough faith? Would you commit? I've already checked your calendar, and unless you're traveling, you're free 6 to 7 a.m., August 29th through September 1st. Would you commit to leaning into prayer for a week? And in that week, learn some things about fasting for 2023 that you can commit to for breakthrough faith? If you will, just tell God today and then keep your appointment with him. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, heads bowed and eyes closed, but hearts open. You need to know today that you can receive Jesus. God sent his only son to you to help you. Because he wants you to know that he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And if you've never asked Jesus to forgive the sins of your past to lead the steps of your future, to be your spiritual savior and your spiritual leader. And your heart feels called to do that today. You can do that today by faith. You say, what's that mean? That means you'll feel it. You'll choose it. But you won't even be able to understand it. It's a a faith thing. It's a trust thing. 
If you've never had saving faith, but you feel like God's calling you to that today, from your heart to heaven, you don't even have to pray it out loud. Would you pray something like this? Would you just say, God, I need you? Just repeat it after me. God, I need you. Like the dad in today's message needed you. God, I need you to step into my life. God, forgive me of the sins of my past. God, cleanse me from the messes that I've made. God, heal me from the hurts that I've experienced. And God, lead me in the future. God, today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I feel in my soul that I should believe it all. Today I want to commit my life to Jesus and I want to choose to follow him. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for forgiving me, for being willing to lead me. Today I choose to follow you as my savior and as my spiritual leader. Heads are still bowed and eyes still closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, I'll let you know how you can tell us so that we can begin to walk with you spiritually. But God, as we close this moment and prepare for a moment of baptism, Jesus, we thank you for your challenge of breakthrough faith today. Forgive us for being an unbelieving and sometimes a perverse generation who just twists what Christianity is and kind of makes it all about us instead of making it all about you. And God, I pray that we'll learn like your disciples how to have power-filled faith in the hardest moments of life. And as we do that, let the world watching us see your glory in our breakthroughs. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.